Hi friends, I just want to thank you for supporting this show. I would also like to give you a heads up on the upcoming events. Adventist World Radio will be coming to Village Seventh-day Adventist Church on the 23rd of November, right here in Barron Springs, Michigan. You don't want to miss this event because they will be sharing stories they have never shared before. And our hope on this show is that these stories that we share will help you to draw closer and closer to God. And here is the show. The doctor came in and he was reading the report as he came into the room. And his face just almost turned white. And he looked and looked again and said, I don't believe what I'm reading. This report shows that you have a massive tumor on your liver. It's the size of a softball. I have never in my life seen something like this. He said, if I'm correct, mm-hmm. this is a cholangeal carcinoma, a very deadly cancer. I am Michael Xarona, and you're listening to Why I Am Here a show that shares the incredible stories of our guests and how they can inspire you to have a closer walk with God. Dr. Benson is a liver cancer survivor. Not only that, but the kind of cancer he had is the deadliest and most aggressive. He had only 1% chance of survival. He did survive and later on accepted a call to be part of an establishment of a Seventh-day Adventist medical university in Rwanda. God still works miracles, and he can do the same thing for you. I went through college preparing myself in a way to to have a college education, but my career was already predetermined. I Mm -hmm. had learned to be an apprentice, a cabinet maker. I was going to um, create my cabinet building business. And miraculously, through a story in its own, the Lord led me my senior year in college to be a teacher. That is a career I look back on now after 40 years and say, God is wonderful. I have never regretted being a teacher. Amen. Amen. So when you were growing up, did you ever see yourself being a teacher one day? No, I didn't. In fact, I said, that's, that's the last thing I want to do. I do not want to be a teacher. But you know, God, God brings people into your life that have an influence. In academy, I was asked, you know, are you going to go to college? Sure, I'm going to go to college. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do? Well, my brother is a uh, biology major. I think I'll study biology. Why would you do that? Because that's not where your talents are. You know, sometimes our friends, they know us better than we think we know ourselves. That's right. That's right. And so so it was through the influence of one of my friends that said, you know, you really ought to study industrial arts. Um, that's that's where your skills are already being built. And after a, a couple of semesters studying biology, I said, you know, that's correct. This is not my field. So... God, God puts people in our life. Amen. So what did you then do after you were starting to study as to become a teacher and oh, what happened next? You know, when you choose a profession, I don't care what it is, the profession is so deep 
you can't learn it in four years. Mm-hmm. So even though I had a good foundation, I, I knew how to weld, I knew how to build things, I knew how to, to repair cars. I had many talents, but I was able to study the things that I had not learned on my own through the teaching of my father, who was an excellent mechanic mm. and builder. I was able to study those things that were left out. So it rounded out, say, my career or my major right. um, so that I was even more valuable. Okay. So did you end up being a teacher the rest of your life? Yes. After I was called to be a teacher, you uh-huh. know, we say we're going to do something in life, but is it our choosing or is it God's choosing? Mm-hmm. And when you're called by God, let me tell you, that changes everything. Mm-hmm. And I can remember as a young people always wondering, does God really call us? Right. Uh, does God really um, commission us to be a teacher or a pastor or a doctor or or something. And when you do have that calling, there's a burning in your, your belly, you know, mm-hmm. that just, this is my life. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. Yeah, you feel that satisfaction, that fulfillment, that you are actually doing what you want to do and what you you have the impression that God is leading you to do. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's that double God is doing it, but you are just excited about uh, that career because you like it. Tell us a little bit about your lifestyle whilst growing up. Were you raised religious in the church? And what kind of habits, lifestyle habits, did you used to follow when you were growing up? I grew up in a, a Christian family. My parents, my grandparents on both sides were Seventh-day Adventists. Mm-hmm. So that right there, there's three generations. I came from a big family. I, I have two half-brother and sister, and then uh, my immediate family, and then we had adopted children. Mm-hmm. My mother had gone through a tough life. She, um, like many young people, rebelled against parents, paid some pretty heavy consequences Hmm. because of some choices she made in life. Mm -hmm. But she then began turning back to God, and she began actually reading a lot of Ellen White. And she determined to raise her children with the godly counsel of Ellen White. Amen. You know, sometimes that was not so easy. We sometimes felt, there she goes, she's getting little red books again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to do this or we're going to have to do that. Right. But I have to say, as she, as she got out those books, I could see she was sincere. She was truly sorry for what she had done in the past, and she was trying to make sure that our lives did not go through the same mistakes she had. Our family did not have enough money to put us all through Christian education. Mm-hmm. My father was a mechanic. He did not make a lot of money. And so she said, I, I don't have anything more than a high school education, so I can't go out and get a big job, but I can take care of children. And so she registered with the state, and we took in foster children mm-hmm. to care for. But that gave her enough income so that she could educate all of us children, including the foster children, in Christian education. So I will never forget the elementary education. But because we were such a large family, Mm -hmm. I can remember that even in the the, the fourth grade, in fact, the third grade, I can remember having to stay after school and clean toilets 
because I had to work to help pay my way. In my age, it didn't matter how young, you could start working whenever. Right. And to this day, I can say that was a very important teaching lesson because the cleaning of toilets doesn't sound very great, but I can walk in a restroom today and say, (laughs) somebody's cleaning this restroom well, it smells good, and, and it's definitely clean. Because of your experience growing up uh, doing that kind of work. (laughs) And I can remember my mother taking me, I think I was in the um, fifth or sixth grade. Uh, She took me down to Oscar Jackson's cabinet shop one Mm -hmm. day and said, Mr. Jackson, you have a very dirty shop and my boy needs to work. And I think you need to hire him. Now, Mr. Jackson was a man of few words, and he, <laughs> he looked at her and looked at me, and he didn't say anything. And she said, so I'll have him tomorrow afternoon about this time, and he can start work then. And he looked at her, and he looked at me, and he never said a word, but he finally gave a little nod to his head, and that's how I began my work as a cleanup boy. Wow, but, he never said you're hired or No, no, anything. no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> he was a man of very few words. I began observing the building of cabinets. Mm-hmm. And I can remember as I got uh, to my academy days, mm-hmm. uh, because I worked there for many years, thought, wow, I am making $1.35 an hour. What am I doing this for? My friends are working at the college market as a cashier. That's fun. Pushing all the buttons, talking to people, handling money. Uh That's fun. They're making $3 an hour. And what am I doing making $1.35? Until one day I thought, but I'm learning a skill. Yes. I am learning to be an apprentice cabinet maker. And by the time I was in college, the college was building five new faculty homes And I got the job to build all the kitchen cabinets and bathroom vanities while a student in college for those five homes. I think that was a really good opportunity for you back then. Yes. Yeah. What is so interesting is that by the time I was ready in my senior year planning to graduate, I was determined I was going to be a professional cabinet builder, have my own shop, my own business. I was in conversation with the contractor who was going to now be building 52 homes on a new, right near the college campus, a new development, housing development. Everything was pretty much set for the contract to go through, Mm -hmm. but then the Lord called me, called me to be a teacher instead. What God knew, but I didn't, is that housing complex never was approved. Hmm. And I never would have had the contract. Wow. God is good. God is amazing. He and sees... I suddenly realized that I can teach students how to build cabinets. Uh-huh. I, can, I can teach other things. Uh, my cabinet skills are certainly not uh, unused, but I am now doing something that I love even more. So now we want to fast forward a little bit. You're raised with these principles, and now you have a skill in building cabinets. And as I was uh, listening to your story, there's a health crisis that happens in your life. Would you like to kind of usher us into that situation? Well, let me just briefly pause and and pick up just a little bit of the story. Uh-huh. I was working so so much in college, I didn't date. 
Okay. So when my friends found out that upon graduation I was accepting a job as a single teacher in the Midwest, they thought I'd gone crazy. They said, "You're not married. What are you going to do? You going to marry one of your students?" Oh my. So this is another story we we won't have time to go into. Right, right. But God miraculously brought me together with a girl that I have been married now over 40 years to. Amen. Amen. And she actually grew up in a health lifestyle mm-hmm. that was a an early vegan style. This was before the word vegan even became popular. Yeah, before we we even have soy milk and all this substitute that we have today, right? Yeah, yeah, we have we have such refined things. They they had a I don't know, th- I think it was called a soy lack that okay. it tasted pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, so she lived in that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I come from a big vegetarian family. We had our own cow, uh, a Jersey cow that 50% of the milk was cream. So we had our own butter, our own whipped cream, you know, oh. ice cream. So when we got married, we did have some compromises when it came to lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, just because it was easier to live with a vegetarian lifestyle than a vegan at that time. Right. We went that direction and we ate the typical Adventist uh, vegetarian lifestyle with cheese and all the rest. Okay. We were still quite healthy. I I would mm-hmm. say much healthier than most people. So the years went by, I did a lot of international travel. Some of that travel was tough. I did get cholera on one of my trips. I traveled in malaria areas. I didn't get malaria. My wife had had gotten malaria. So was this travel for work? Yes, it was. Okay. Yes. So um, were you teaching in different places in different countries around the world? So we had been married um for 2 years. Uh-huh. And I had a call from the General Conference to go to Bolivia to develop a technical school there. This is the General Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Correct. Okay. Correct. And my wife said, "I have been serving before we were married for 2 years. Uh-huh. It will change your life. Consider taking it." And I can remember not wanting the call, saying, "Lord, um you know how much I've worked at this school developing the industrial arts. I mean, my labs are getting better and better each year. I've been here now 5 years. Um you know I don't want to leave. Mm-hmm. But I am willing to follow your leading. So if you want me to go, uh make it clear." And one day I told my wife, I said, "You know, I finally figured out I am going to go and talk with the educational superintendent. He's come to visit the school and I'm sure that God will direct in that conversation whether or not I should accept this call. And she said, "Yeah, that sounds good to me. I think that's trying to get some godly advice. So why don't you do that?" So I went to the administration building and um opened my mailbox just to pick that up. And while I started looking around, where is the educational superintendent um I don't know he's supposed to be on campus someplace but as I was closing the door to my mailbox I heard a voice from way down the hall saying hey Verlin I understand you're going to Bolivia have a wonderful time and if you ever get back 
Come and talk to us and we'll see if we can get you another job in the Midwest. Really? And wow. I said, thank you very much. And I went home and told my wife, we're going to Bolivia. I didn't even ask the question. Like that? We're going to Bolivia. That was a sign from God that he was leading. To me, it was, it was God speaking through him. And mm-hmm. I had prayed and asking that in our conversation, I could detect. And he somehow knew about it. Mm-hmm. How he knew, I didn't know. But I'd never talked to him. So wow. I said, wow, he, if he really would have wanted me to stay there, he could have blocked the call. That's right. So this is God's will. I'm going to go. And I got excited. I must say, of all the countries in the world, mm-hmm. that was probably the place that was least attractive to my mind. Right. Uh, up in the Andes Mountains, that just doesn't tickle my fancy. <laughs> oh, I would never trade those years. I would never trade those years. Those were the richest, most powerful. We went through a, 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 a an experience there. The U.S. dollar, one U.S. dollar would buy 28 of their pesos. That's kind of their dollar. Okay. Three and a half years later, one U.S. dollar, 2,750,000 of theirs. Oh, wow. So we went through a violent financial crisis. Hmm. And uh, we had to plant our own garden. Um, some yeah. of the richest years. Our two children were born during that period. Like in, in Bolivia? In Bolivia. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So now you're traveling to different places because of work. Yes. So that pattern continued. Even though we came back, I spent 16 years at Pacific Union College. Okay. And then another 12 years at Andrews University. Mm-hmm. It was during the last portion at Andrews University where I went for my annual physical. The doctor said, congratulations. Uh, You're now, I think, my healthiest patient in your age bracket. Wow, that is good news. If if someone hears that, they'll be like, yes, (laughs) this is good because everyone wants to be healthy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I felt healthy. Uh You know, I I put that little picture up, that little boy, you know, showing Uh his muscles, you know. You know, that's That's how I felt inside. Uh Um, I I felt healthy. I felt strong, you know. Give me another tough task. I can do it. With the Lord's strength, you know, you can take anything. I I have to admit, I am 60. I do remember a time I had more strength than enthusiasm, but it's probably just because of my age. Yeah, you can just feel that slight difference, but you can still feel that I am... I'm doing well. Right. What I didn't know, that was probably the disease making me feel that way, but very, very subtly, that almost imperceptibly, I couldn't tell hmm. that the, the cancer that was growing inside of me was, was just killing me. So uh, how did you then realize that you, you had the cancer? So a week after the checkup, uh-huh. I was with my wife at a little campground. Uh, my wife is a nurse, and the weekends that she is on call, she has to be very close to the hospital. And we live just outside that circle of approved distance, you know, <laughs> just a little bit too far away. So right. we tended, when the weather was good, mm-hmm. we would take our, just our little travel trailer and park at a campground, and we would have just a weekend together, the two of us. I mean, that's how we wanted to look at it, because mm-hmm. she rarely got called in. So this is just a little vacation time. Right, right. You know, attitude is, is half the battle in life. Yes. You know, 
ah, not another weekend of on-call. Oh, those horrible weekends, you know. But if we can say, no, we've got a weekend together. Let's make the best of it. So we were there. Um, I had just finished hooking up the trailer to the utilities, and Anita was inside making supper. And when I went in, I said, you know, I said, I don't know. I just don't feel hungry tonight. I don't feel real good. And so go ahead and make some supper for yourself, but I'm going to go lie down. I don't think it was more than half an hour, 45 minutes later. Mm-hmm. I was lying there on my back, and I suddenly just leaped up off of the bed because there was a pain in my abdomen so sharp that if you stabbed me with a knife, I do not believe that could have hurt as much as this pain. So this pain just came from nowhere. Nowhere. No warning. It was it was such an intense pain. I have never in my life felt anything like that. And I couldn't just lie there. My muscles reacted so violently. I leaped up off of the bed and grabbed my stomach mm-hmm. and said, "What was that?" Because the pain as quick as it came vanished. I mean, the pain lasted no more than about a second. Really? I mean, it was there and uh-huh. gone. And I said, what was that? I laid down and Anita said, what, what happened? I said, I don't know. But I just had a pain I've never experienced in my life. And in the next hour, it came again. And, and periodically during the evening. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it didn't happen during the night. But it happened periodically in the day following. And then on Sunday, it also occasionally kept reoccurring. And just a very, very sharp pain. Not quite as intense, but still a very, very violent pain. So it would come and go and come and go. Correct. Never last, never lingering. Hmm. It came and went just very suddenly. And so we were talking about going to the emergency room. And I said, but... You know, I just had my physical. I mean, certainly right. there's nothing, but I, don't, I can't account. Everything looked fine. Sure. Well, what is this? Mm-hmm. So finally, um, is, um, we got up very early Sunday, Monday morning now because she's heading to work. We're up very early because I need to drive the trailer back to Berrien Springs, about an hour drive, mm-hmm. and, and put things away. And then I need to go to work. I had a devotional to give for one of the... The committee meetings, I, I had a, a committee to attend, and um, I drove home and experienced an episode while driving. And I said, no, I, I've got to go to the doctor. This is, this is just not right. So right. I did the devotion. I went to the committee meeting, uh-huh. and then I, I, I took my lunch break and went to the doctor. And he said, what are you doing here? Yeah, because he, he just saw you, and you were fine. Everything was, was good. I explained the pain, and he said, that just does not make sense. He said, had I not just seen you, it's, it's, it's easy to just think, well, let me give you some pain medication and see mm-hmm. what happens after a week. Well, you know, God is so wonderful because that pain from that moment on mm-hmm. never, ever returned again. Wow. You know, I, I, I like to look back. Yes, there, there medically can be an explanation for that pain. Uh-huh. Um, one of the major vessels, the blood vessel, a very large artery or vein, I'm not a doctor, it's one of right, those, right, right. Uh, passing through that region uh-huh. could have been 
finally cut off by the cancer. It just finally occluded, shut off that vessel. And as it tried to keep pushing blood through and finally had to say, no, you're not going to get blood through there anymore. It's being shut off. Uh, that That's a medical explanation for what was causing the pain. Mm-hmm. But I like to think that God was touching me to send me the, to the doctor. Yeah, kind of giving you an alert. You know, remember, God ch- touched Jacob yes. and put his hip out of place. Mm-hmm. And I believe if God wants to touch us, he'll get a message to us clearly. <laughs> wow. And I can tell you that pain was like a pain God would send, I believe, if he wants to get our attention. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, that pain never, ever returned again. And the, the doctor sent me for a CT scan and said, come back at six o'clock tonight. I'll still be here and I'll see you. So I called for my wife. We met with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, a CT scan is, is not a difficult thing to, to go through. You just are inserted into this round donut and the table runs back and forth and it's over. And it's done. It's done. Mm-hmm. There's no pain, no, no, no worries. We went back and waited. The doctor came in and he was reading the report as he came into the room and his his face just almost turned white and he looked and looked again and said i don't believe what i'm reading hmm this this report shows that you have a massive tumor on your liver it's the size of a softball i have never in my life seen something like this he said if i'm correct mm-hmm. this is a cholangeal carcinoma a very deadly cancer. Wow. I said, well, wow. It's really that serious. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very serious. I said, well, I am leaving on Wednesday to go to India. When I come back, let's, let's sit down and figure out what we need to do then, I guess. At this point, Dr. Benson did not see the magnitude of the danger that he was in. But God was providentially leading him to get help as soon as possible. When we come back, we will hear whether the doctor allowed him to go to India. This program is sponsored by Village Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you would like to learn more about Village Church, please visit villagesda.org. Are you wondering how you can spend the financial blessings God has given you? Join Village Church as we partner with the El Salvadorian Union to build the first Adventist college in El Salvador. If you would like to learn more about this opportunity, please visit villagesda.org. He said, oh no, you're not going to India. I'm hospitalizing you tonight. You're not going because anywhere. you you felt like I'm feeling like I'm strong. I can still go on with my work. I felt like I did ten days ago right. when I had the physical, uh-huh. and that since the pain had stopped, I'm ready to go again. So, no, there's nothing. No, he said, uh, you only have a few months to live. This is a cancer hmm. that is terminal. You are in stage four. You don't have much time. Wow. So then the reality hits, and I can remember 
hugging each other and the tears flowing. Hmm. You know, to stand there and think, our son is married, but I'll never, I'll never know our grandkids. Mm -hmm. Our daughter's not married, I'll never have an opportunity to walk her down the aisle and give her in marriage. Hmm. Life comes crashing to a halt unexpectedly. All of a sudden, without you expecting anything. And it is devastating. Mm -hmm. Truly devastating. Yeah, so they put me in the hospital. Um, they wanted to do a biopsy, take a sample of the the cancerous tissue. Mm -hmm. When that was done, they sent me home to wait for the results and what is the next step. They had me meet with an oncologist. The oncologist said, this is a very, very difficult cancer. I have never treated anything like this. Hmm. We're just going to have to take step by step trying to move forward. The prognosis is not very good. Well, that doesn't give you much confidence. Yes, that does not. So how are you taking all this news that you're getting every day that this is worse, this is serious? You, you bet. Were, you were strong, oh. saying, I can go through this. Let me tell you, we are all human. Uh -huh. we, we, are, we are human. And, and, and I, I, it weighed on me every moment of every day. Mm -hmm. and, and I began to ask why. Why? Mm -hmm. I've been a vegetarian all my life. I've never, I've, I've never eaten meat. I have never smoked. I've never drank. I've never tried drugs. What has my liver had to func had, had to clean? That's right. You know what uh -huh. has it had to filter? You know I've I've lived a great lifestyle, in my mind. Mm -hmm. You know, why me? I mean, look at all these people that smoke and drink and have all the drugs and nothing's happening to them. Why me? Well just fast-forwarding in the story real quickly, uh -huh. uh, that's the opposite of what I think today. I, I think, who am I? Who am I? A sinner that's made so many mistakes in life mm -hmm. that has not done a lot of things right. I, I have failed in so many things. Who am I that the God of the universe would look down and put me through an experience of healing that he would touch me to get me to the doctor and begin a healing process that would bring, restore me back to full health. Who am I? Wow. I mean, how this is the love of a God I cannot fully comprehend. But Amen. all I can do is say, praise God for your love and mercy Amen. and forgiveness. Amen. So now you're at the oncologist and he is seeing pretty much the same thing as your doctor did. Like, this is serious. This has to be acted upon, or he has never dealt with such a situation like that. Well, I will be honest with you, <laughs> and I certainly don't want anyone to to start off on some segue, thinking that doctors are all bad, mm -hmm. uh, because they're not. They simply are not. There are some doctors that make some mistakes sometimes. That's right. I saw him for three times, mm -hmm. uh, three visits of no more than about five minutes. His bill came through at $3,000. And I sat up and said, we need to get a different doctor because he doesn't know how to even treat. He's just going to do some trial and error. 
my wife's brother is an ENT surgeon mm-hmm. in California. He began researching, okay, where are the liver cancer clinics or the hospitals that deal with this in the best way in the U.S.? And he, as a doctor, has access to all this great medical knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a place in Texas called MD Anderson, very good at treating liver cancer. Sloan Kettering in New York, and the Mayo Clinic mm-hmm. in Rochester, Minnesota. And the Mayo Clinic's the closest to where we were living here in Michigan. Right. So he looked up one of the liver cancer surgeons and called him up. And when he heard about my case from, from my brother-in-law, he said, as soon as he can get the biopsy slides, that is the tissue slides, mm-hmm. um, I would like to look at those slides myself. I, I'm not interested in their analysis or their report. I want to see it firsthand myself. So if he could get that sent to me, I'd see him that same week. So it took a week for the the slides to be prepared of that biopsy. And I found out that it was going to be available at six o'clock one evening. And Mm -hmm. my wife and I drove to South Bend to pick it up. And on the way, I thought, well, how could we get this overnighted so that it's there? It's too late today, so it'll be tomorrow that we send it. It'll be the next day. This seems to be an urgent case. The doctors are very urgent to see this. Mm -hmm. I wonder if one of the Andrews University airplanes is available. Maybe that could fly the the samples there. And so I called our air park. They said, hey, we just had a new engine put on one of the airplanes. Wow. The engine has to be broke in before we can have students fly it. This would be a perfect trip. It's a nice long trip. Absolutely, it's ready to go. Come at seven o'clock tomorrow morning. Wow, this looks like perfect timing. Yeah, this, this is the miracle that is the theme. This is not a story about me. This is Mm -hmm. a story about God keeps intervening and preparing things. And Mm -hmm. this is, I do not believe, circumstance. This is God's providential. His his intervention in our lives. He knows before we're born what we're going to go through. Mm -hmm. He sees the future. He prepares us. He, He creates these little events that are perfect. Amen. So my wife got up early. She generally leaves between... Uh, around 5.30 to go in to start her surgery schedule as a nurse. So she'd left. I was at the airport with a packet at seven o'clock. The department chair was there to meet me and introduce me to the student flight instructor. She said, Dr. Benson, you're a pilot. You've had a lot on your mind these last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just go, go with the flight? You're a pilot, fly the airplane yourself. You're not current, but the student flight instructor is going to be with you, so you're legal. Enjoy the day. And I said, you know, I'm very That's tempted. Kinda, yeah. I, my wife is, is in, in one of the surgery cases. I can't call her right now. I'll go. I'll be back before she even gets off work. So, yeah, I might as well just take the day. And so I did. I do remember enjoying that flight. So you flew the plane. Yes, yes. I, I love flying. And uh, I let the student flight uh, pilot uh, the, or the student flight instructor land uh-huh. the plane. I, I'm just, I wasn't quite comfortable enough to land, but all the compass headings, all the, the radio work, getting back in, 
in tune with that. That was fun. So I got to the airport, got a taxi to take me in to the Mayo Clinic, and went up to the 12th floor uh, mm-hmm. where the doctor's office was. I met the doctor's nurse, and I said, I'm, I just flew in, and I'm going to turn around and fly home, so if you have any questions, I can wait for just a little bit. After that, I'm heading back to Michigan. So she said, oh, that's great. So, yeah, if you're willing to wait just a few minutes, let me um, look at the packet and um, have the doctor uh, review some of the things. She kept coming out. I think it was three or four times she came out. Do you mind waiting a little longer? No, that's fine. But now we're getting to be close to two hours. And I'm thinking, I need to get on my way pretty quick because... I definitely want to be home before my wife yes. gets home. <laughs> because she didn't know that. <laughs> she didn't even know I left. So. Yeah. <laughs> and you thought that it was going to be quick. You just go and drop your samples, right? And yes. then just go back. Correct. So suddenly the nurse came out with a huge stack of papers. And she said, you'll notice that you're already late for your blood draw. Don't, don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. But you cannot be late for the six o'clock MRI. So I suggest you be there half an hour early. I said, what are you talking about? I'm on my way back to Michigan. She grabbed my arm and said, oh no, you're not. You're staying right here. Your case is far too serious. Hmm. You cannot leave. Wow. I had not signed any financial papers. I hadn't done anything. I came in and they began treating me as if they knew me I had paid my bills or signed that I would pay. There wasn't even a worry about anything. I was there with appointments and they were doing work immediately. I couldn't believe what was happening. Wow, so you didn't communicate with them ahead of time, like I'm coming? I showed up. Like walk in? I walked in. That is amazing. Now, the doctor knew that I would be coming sometime. But that's the only communication. That's it. Wow. So now you have to go for an MRI. No, I had to call my wife. Okay, <laughs> because at this moment she doesn't know anything. She doesn't know where yeah. you are. By the time I had found a hotel and at least got settled, I had to tell the pilot to go take the plane home. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be returning. I had nothing. I didn't even have a change of clothes. So by the time I got settled and got to the point where I could remember uh, Minnesota's an an hour behind Michigan. Uh So I I was still in time for my six o'clock MRI, but that's seven o'clock Michigan time. And my wife was home long before that. Oh. So I told, I called her and of course she said, oh, no, you're not. Stop teasing. You know, you're not in, in Minnesota. But I am. I'm at the Mayo Clinic. I guess she was shocked. She was shocked and not very happy. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine because now her worry is now back to that devastation. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a cancer that is life-threatening. Right. She called our daughter who lived in the area. Mm -hmm. The two of them began putting together suitcases and food and packed everything for how long? They don't know. But for a few days, they packed everything that they thought was appropriate Mm -hmm. and then got in the car and began driving. They drove all night 
Uh, by the time they didn't leave until after midnight trying to finish up everything. What do you do with animals? Right. How do you take care of everything um, to leave their job and make arrangements? So it was after midnight. And they arrived 45 minutes before my appointment with the doctor. So now this is the first time seeing the liver cancer surgeon. Mm -hmm. He did not spend a long time. He had some drawings and some pictures to show us. And he said, you have a very sharp doctor. He nailed the diagnosis. You have correct. interhepatic cholangiocarcinoma. This is a deadly disease two to three months to live typically. It could be extended six months to a year, hmm. but that is it. This is a silent killer. This disease has no blood markers. It has no pain typically associated with it. It has no way to find this cancer until it's too late. Wow. And you are already at stage four. Your case is so bad that I want you on chemotherapy this afternoon. Hmm. The only thing that I have a little bit of reservation is if your other organs, if they have little bumps and little nodules on them, mm -hmm. that's a telling sign. If those are present, you will be closed up and I don't suggest any medical treatment because there is nothing any doctor can do. You will die you might as well enjoy the last few weeks. Wow. And you will pass away. So for this cancer, what's the percentage of people who have survived it or there's no one who has ever survived it before you? Your chance of survival is less than 1%. Less than 1%. That's pretty intense. Yes. He said, if, if you find somebody that wants to operate and remove the cancerous tumor, mm -hmm. it's about the size of the softball. He said, it will kill you. Your cancer right now is too big to remove. Wow. It is too large. Now, um, there's other doctors that will argue and say, no, it isn't. I've removed larger tumors than that. It's one thing to remove them, but mm -hmm. when you cut into those tumors and you remove them, it releases billions upon billions of cancer cells and your body is flooded with those cancer cells and it will kill you. So he said, we've thrown out the textbook here at the Mayo Clinic on what the textbook says to do with this case because we know it will kill you. And so in your case, we are gonna have to do something else. Well, I said, if you're wanting to know um, how big, would you do laparoscopic surgery? Yes, we would do laparoscopic surgery. When? Next week? next month? When would that get scheduled? Oh no, it will be done tomorrow morning. We will do it immediately. It was that urgent. It was that urgent. So the next morning at five o'clock, I stood in line and waited to, for the first time, sign some medical releases and go in for the laparoscopic surgery. Uh, the Mayo Clinic is an amazing place. There, there is a prep room, mm -hmm. it, it, just bed after bed after bed. When I actually had my s surgery months and months later, mm -hmm. I think there was over 50 people 
all being prepared for surgery that morning. I mean, they have so many Over operating. Over people. Yeah, it was just an amazing hospital. Busy hospital. And, and a side note, uh, uh-huh. you know, in some of our history, early in the 1800s, some some early pioneering work by John Harvey Kellogg. It's interesting to note that the Mayo brothers um, studied under John Harvey Kellogg. Really? Yes. That is interesting. Very interesting side note. Yeah. So to this day, there is a culture at the Mayo Clinic that reminds me of some of the roots of Adventism. Wow. Some of the early medical training is still still reflected today. The music that they want to encourage uh-huh. um, patients to listen to, very uplifting. Most of the time, I heard hymns being played. Really? And um, so there is a, yeah, very interesting. So the next morning, I can remember coming out of surgery, waking up right at 12 o'clock. And they said, if you can eat something, the doctor has already scheduled a meeting with your oncologist here to start you on chemo. And I thought, wow, I've just come, gone through surgery. You're not supposed to make any major decisions right yeah. after surgery, you uh-huh. know, at least for 24 Maybe or 48 hours or, or something. Or two days, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now you have to make a decision right away. And this is one of the most important decisions of my health life. Yeah, it's critical. It's critical. And, and I'm already determined I'm not going to do chemo. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to change my mind on this, you know, my wife has seen so many chemo patients suffer and pass away hmm. that chemo doesn't work a lot of the time. So why go through all of that torture? Right. And so we went to the office at 1.30 and we met with this doctor. He was a Korean doctor. He was a, a violinist. I can tell our son plays the violin. Mm-hmm. And when you play the violin a lot, um, you will have a little mark from holding the, the violin um, on your neck. shoulder, on your neck, yeah. And I said, you play the violin. Oh, how do you know? <laughs> so we became very good friends. Our son plays the violin, and, uh-huh. and uh, we talked about music. But I immediately recognized this doctor. He's a brilliant doctor. He began talking about the evolution of the world. I suddenly realized, you know, this... He's not a believer. (laughs) He's not a believer, definitely not Uh a believer. And, uh, you know, after the billions of years, you know, it's only in the last, you know, three years that we've really begun to step up our understanding of oncology. And even five, ten years ago, the things we would and wouldn't do today Mm -hmm. were the very things that we were doing, you know, five or ten years ago. But our plans have totally changed. And so... We have different approaches and different treatments. I would like to invite you to go through a clinical trial study. We have determined that the cancer drugs that we have, Mm -hmm. the the very aggressive, the gemcitabine, the cisplatin, those are the heavy-duty cancer drugs for chemo. Uh, They do not touch this kind of cancer. And the, the, the German Bayer company um, has a clinical trial drug that they're hoping will prepare your tissue so that they can really be, uh, your, your tissue will accept this, this, these cancer drugs and do their work. They do their work. And we'd like to, to have you consider. And he had lots of explanation. He, he knew 
He knew blood work better than anyone I've ever known. He explained all the different components and how things would work. Mm -hmm. And then he would invite other people to come in and talk with us. We didn't leave his office until quarter to five. We spent the entire afternoon. But we had prayed before going in, Uh God, if, if you want me to go through this chemo, may it be clear to both of us. May we both be convicted. This is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we said, for whatever reason, God seems to be leading us in this direction. Amen. So, there, because it's a clinical trial, there are certain starting dates and procedures that have to be done. And so we had to go home and wait for 10 days until I could go back and start the, the, at the right time. Mm-hmm. There were 14 spots for patients to be in this trial. I was the 13th patient. And soon after I joined, the, the 14th slot was filled. And that was all that were allowed to, to take this chemo. In the, meanwhile, in the meantime, we had gone down to the uh, library mm-hmm. uh, where they have all these very, very difficult diseases and cancers. And you can read all the clinical trials that they have done, the results. And we read about intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma. And I finally told Anita, you know, I've read enough cases. Right. They are all the same. Prognosis is grim. Mm -hmm. The patient died six months later. I mean, all of these studies seem to be in vain. And I said, you know, I've got to have some hope. Right. But God had prepared me with hope years earlier. God had given me a promise in the New Testament that I claimed in a new direction because God put someone in my life that helped me understand 1 Corinthians 13. Wow. Which, which verse? Is it the whole chapter? or? No, no. Um, I, I had hired a new executive assistant. And uh-huh. We were getting to know each other, trying to work together. And one morning in our devotional, uh, we had been reading through 1 Corinthians 13. And we'd come to the, the last verse of, first, of, of the chapter. And so I had read, mm-hmm. and now abideth faith, hope, love, these three. The greatest of these is love. And then she said, and, and, keep going. No, I said, that's it. That's that's the end of the that's the end of the verse. She said, "Well, no, there's there's more to, to that. Uh, in our culture, you can't just end there. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, it, but that's that's the end of the verse. It's the end of the chapter, and the next chapter goes on to something else. And then I began to think, who did I just hire? I mean, does this person not really believe the Bible? I mean, wh- what does she really believe? You know, you can't add something in your culture just because you have a different culture that's not there. I right. mean, you can't start adding to the Bible like that. <laughs> My questions began to just come up, you know, what is she thinking? You know, what is she trying to tell me? And, you know, somebody came into the office and we got separated and went about our tasks of the day and, and that was it. But I kept pondering that. What was she trying to say? Uh-huh. Because she said it once, but I didn't believe her. It was weeks and weeks and weeks later that one day it finally hit me mm-hmm. that what she was trying to say was true. What she was trying to say is, and now abideth faith, hope, love, 
these three. The greatest of these is love. However, never forget, hope dies last. Hmm, that is powerful. And I suddenly understood what her culture was trying to say. Uh It's the hope of the Old Testament, the coming Messiah. Yes. All the prophets prophesying of Jesus coming. It's the hope of the New Testament and the new church, the hope of the second coming of Jesus. It's the hope that no matter how bad your life was, Mm -hmm. there is forgiveness because of the cross. The thief on the cross didn't do a single act of goodness in his entire life that we know of. Yet God has forgiveness because of his gift for us. And it just suddenly brought a whole bunch of stories together and said, here's the story of of the three Hebrews. They said, we don't know whether we're going to die or live. If you want to put us in that furnace, go ahead. We have a God that if he wanted to, he could even rescue us from that furnace. Mm-hmm. But if he chooses not to, we're still going to trust him because there's hope in a resurrection. There's hope in life to come. Amen. Amen. What a beautiful testimony. And then there was hope to realize that God's way is the way we want to choose no matter what happens. Uh-huh because the story of Hezekiah came to mind. The story of Hezekiah getting sick. And when he called the prophet and said, is this sickness unto death? Yes. 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 And then as the prophet left, he had that moment of moment of humanity, that that lack of faith for the moment and began playing like a little child and moping and said, why am I dying? Because look at all the good things I've done. I've, mm-hmm. I've been a good king and, and wh- how, how dare you treat me like this? And, and the prophet was turned around and came back and okay, the Lord's given you 15 more years. But as we look at the story, it would have been better mm-hmm. that he passed mm-hmm. away. Yep. It would have been better to leave a legacy of goodness instead of the mistakes he made afterwards. That's right. This is not the end of the story, and the story gets better. Next week, we'll come back with part two and see how God led Dr. Benson to a full and complete healing of his liver cancer. This is Michael Xarona, and you have been listening to Why I Am Here. For more episodes, please visit villagesda.org. We would like to thank Pastor Ron Kelly and his pastoral staff for making this show a reality. We would also like to thank Village Seventh-day Adventist Church in Bering Springs, Michigan for their support and sponsoring this show. If you would like your story to be featured on this show, please visit villagesda.org. If you have enjoyed this show, please remember to subscribe, review, and share with your friends. You can also listen to this show on your favorite podcast platform. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.